in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is written 700 years before Christ ever came. Isaiah was a prophet primarily to the southern part of the kingdom. If you remember, and I repeat this quite often, I hope, hope you don't get tired of the repetition. But you remember, God brought the children of Israel, called Abraham, formed a great nation, the nation of Israel. And uh, there were 12 tribes of Israel and the sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, those 12 tribes, settled in the land of promise. Brother Sammy shared with us this morning that they never actually claimed all the land that God had promised to them. But I promise you one thing, they will have it all, and it's going to all belong to them. It's not a matter of political correctness or of uh, anything, but God's got a plan, and his, his plan is the overruling and overriding plan in all the world. History is his story. And so God's working it all out according to counsel of his will. But in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is warning and, and prophesying about impending judgment. The 10 tribes to the north had separated under Jeroboam and, and they had formed their, uh, a separate nation. And they are called Ephraim. They are also called Israel. To the south, there were two tribes that remained faithful to Jehovah God, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And they are identified primarily as Judah. But those tribes to the south were following the example of the tribes to the north, which had turned from God and began to serve idols. God had raised up other nations, the nation of Babylon. And Babylon was to come and the Assyrians were to come. And uh, they would take these people captive and the northern kingdom will fall first and then the southern kingdom will fall. Now, if you've been following with me, these last several chapters has been almost a repetitious type of thing. Over and over again, maybe with different emphasis and with different words, he's warning them of what's happening. The ten tribes to the north have drifted into idolatry. They're going to soon go into captivity by the Assyrian. And then the tribes to the south are doing the very same thing. And as I've gone through this and read through it, I, I, in my own mind, I wondered why over and over again did God warn them, why there's so many chapters of the book of Isaiah dedicated to those repeated warnings. And I came up with two or three little things. Number one, God is long-suffering. He's given them chance after chance after chance. The same way with some of you in here. Over and over again, God spoke to you. Over and over again, God's dealt with your heart. Over and over again, God's brought conviction. And you have continued to go your own way. He's warning you, warning you, warning you. Not only do I note that it's the long suffering of God that these chapters are there, but also I'd suggest to you this. He wanted us to understand how easy it is for any of us to go these gradual steps into idolatry. Because you see, it's been a progression. When he first started warning them, they were faithful to God, the southern kingdom. And he said, don't do like the northern kingdom. Don't do like that. And then they began to do like they were doing, begin to turn to idols. And so he said, he said, be faithful to me. And he pleaded with them. And it's a progressive thing. It's a little bit at a time. He said in one passage of scripture, we have, you have backslidden like a backsliding heifer. And that is they back up. And he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. And if you'll notice when he's talking about those sheep going astray, sheep don't get in a hurry. They don't take off running. I mean, they, they don't stampede like cattle. But it's just one step at a time, 
one step at a time, one step at a time, they get away from the Savior or from the shepherd. And that's the same way it is with us. And that's what he wants us to see, that their downfall was not immediate. It was a progression of things. It was an erosion of their faith in God. It was, it was a gradual going in those times of, of idolatry. And he warns us about that. But he also wants to warn us about this, the certainty of judgment. Although he's pleaded with them, although he's given them many, many opportunities, although he sent prophet after prophet, they've rejected. And the reason that they are going to face judgment is because they would not listen. And isn't that true of America? Isn't that true of so many people in this auditorium? Time and time, God spoke to your heart, but you would not listen. But I want to assure you, judgment is coming. Now look with me, please, in Isaiah chapter 58. And I'll pick up the emphasis once again. In this chapter, he is addressing, first of all, the northern kingdom. And listen to what he says. Woe unto the crown of pride to the drunkards of Ephraim. That's the ten tribes to the north. Whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overfloweth, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. Now, I'm going to leave off the reading of that part of the chapter. I'm going to come back and hit some of those verses. But will you skip over to my text verse this morning? And it is in verse number 20. Verse number 20. And listen to what the word of God says. For the bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on it. And the covering narrow than he can wrap himself in it. Now, isn't that an unusual statement? He said, the bed is too short. You can't stretch out on it. And the cover's too narrow. It'll not cover you up. He's summarizing what he sort of told them in this chapter. Will you bow with me for prayers I preach on you this morning coming up short. Heavenly Father, I pray now the Holy Ghost of God to help me. I want to thank you for the blessed privilege of being here today. And God, without your anointing, without your power, nothing of eternal consequence take place. Thank you for the wonderful singing of the choir and the specials this morning. Thank you for the work and the labor of the Sunday school classes. And I pray, God, that people will come and be in Bible study. I pray, our Father, this morning you'd speak to our hearts. Oh, Lord Jesus, I plead the blood of this place. God, I pray that you'd purge my mind and heart. Take everything out of me. You ought not to be there. Fill me with your Holy Ghost. And Father, I pray, God, this morning you'd speak definitely to the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. Dear Holy Spirit of God, you've come to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that, God, you'd do your work now. I pray, oh, God, that by the Spirit of God, men, women, boys, and girls would be drawn to the Savior and God's people would be repentant. And God, that we'd be dedicated, and as the song said, fully committed to the Lord. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this chapter, he begins by addressing the northern kingdom. And I think it's interesting to note what he says about them. He says two or three things about them, talking about Ephraim. Later in the chapter, he'll turn his attention in verse 14 to the northern kingdom. But he says of Ephraim, two or three things. Notice, 
He says, woe unto the crown of pride. The crown of pride. Then he addresses them as drunkards. And matter of fact, the description is very dra- graphic as you get on down into the scriptures. And notice it says in verse number seven, but they also have erred through wine and strong drink. Are they out of the way? The priests and the prophets have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up with wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there's no place clean. Boy, what a mess they're in. They've gone that way. Now, let me say he not only identifies them as drunkards, but notice the graphic description as he describes them in verse one again near the end. He said, whose glorious beauty is as a fading flower. And then he talks about a, the fat valleys. He's identifying that country to the north and what they have been and what they've become. They've so degenerated. And he says of them, they have a crown of pride. Now, crown is a symbol of rule. This is the 10 tribes to the north who withdrew themselves after the death of Solomon to form their own country. And the king, Jeroboam, said to them, It is too much for you to go back to Jerusalem, the seat of worship, to worship. And so he began to give them a convenient religion. He erected altars and they began to try to worship Jehovah God. But very soon it degenerated into idolatry and they worshiped all kind of idols. And now they are prideful people. That crown, they are self-sufficient. They are self-righteous. And what happens is when people begin to drift away from God, they become self-righteous. They become self-sufficient and they don't need God. They can rule their own life. They can do their own thing. They, they, they got everything well in hand. But the truth of the matter is they're in jeopardy. They're going to be destroyed. As a matter of fact, he describes them as a bunch of drunkards. Now, that's true literally because as they begin to worship idols, the, where the children of Israel observe the Passover, and as we observe our Lord's Supper, that had degenerated. Now it had become drunken orgies, and, and they, had, they had abused what God had wanted them to have. And it also, wine also represents the pleasures of the world. They got drunk on the pleasures of the world. When they turned from the Savior, they tried to satisfy, and it only made them sick. And notice a little phrase there. It said, and there was no place clean. They became contaminated. All of their righteousness is filthy rags. My dear friend, all of their pride is going to be destroyed. They become filthy and unclean. And he said, notice, he said, their glorious beauty is as a fading flower. There's nothing more beautiful than flowers. These happen to be artificial, but they're very beautiful. But there's nothing as depressing as seeing fading beauty of flowers. Those beautiful roses as they begin to die, the camellias and the poinsettias at Christmas, as they begin to die and the flowers begin to to fade, it is a depressing thing because you know and I know as they begin to die, they're not coming back.
And it's the end of the beauty. They've reached that pinnacle. And it's going down, down, down from here. And he says to this nation, he said, you've turned your back on me. There's no life in you. And the beauty is fading and you're dying. And ultimately, they'll fall into judgment. They're going to fall into judgment. Now, notice he pronounces that on the northern kingdom. But now, will you look with me, please, not only at at that, but I want to draw one little quick lesson at at verse number nine. Listen to what he says. I read down through verse eight, verse nine. Whom shall he teach knowledge and whom and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast for precept must be upon precept. A precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with a stammering tongue and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherein you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Watch this little phrase. Yet they would not hear. For the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go back and fall backward and be broken, snared and taken. Now listen, there's a couple of things here just real quick. Here's the divine principle of learning biblical truth. It is true of every one of us. How do you learn the word of God? It's precept upon precept. Line upon line, here a little, there a little. This is a big book, 66 books in this Bible. And you say, Brother Billy, it's just too overwhelming. And it is for any of us. But you know how God teaches us biblical truth? Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. That's how you grow spiritually. You feed daily on the word of God. Read the word of God every day. You study the word of God. God speaks to your heart. But now watch this. He shared truth with them. He didn't try to overwhelm them. He didn't try to blow them out of the saddle. He sent prophets with compassionate hearts and weeping and pleading and sharing the word of God. And one after another, one after another, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. But he says this, they would not hear the word of God. They wouldn't hear it. And the reason you don't know the Bible is not because it's not available to you. And it's not because the Holy Ghost of God's not willing to teach you. It's because you will not hear it. You will not hear it. And that's what he said to them. That's true of us today. They would not hear it. They would not respond to it. They would not be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. But now watch this. There's a verse in the New Testament that says, there's one thing's going to judge you, even the word of God. And what was sent to them to bless them, to warn them, to help them to grow, to help them to be what they ought to be and and to serve him faithfully has been sent to them now. And because they will not hear it, it is going to result in a in an awful devastation. Notice what he says about them in verse 12. He said the word of God was sent and he said that, that, that there was a rest for the weary. And it was to be a refreshing. That was the intent of it. The word of God was sent to give them release and rest and refreshing, but they wouldn't hear it. And so consequently, what's going to happen? Look at the latter part of verse number 13. And he said that they might go and fall backward and be broken 
and be snared and be taken. They've had adequate warning and he's told them over and over again. And now they're going to fall backward. Now they're going to be broken. Now they're going to be snared. Now they're going to be taken. What a description. Where the word line upon line, precept upon precept was to help them to grow and help them mature and help them to be what they ought to be for the God. Now, because of that, the word preached to them is going to actually be effective to them. And they're going to go backwards instead of going forward. They're going to go into captivity. They're going to go backward. Now watch. In the word of God, when a person approaches God, they either do one or two things. They either fall forward or they fall backward. All those who came in defiance of him, all those who came rejecting him, always fall backward. Do you remember when they came to, they came to arrest him in the garden? And then he said, who do you seek? And he, they said, we seek Jesus. He said, I am he. And the Bible said, and they fell backwards. But every time somebody comes to him in submission, they fall forwards. At his feet. And what's happening here is this crowd who has refused to bow to him and surrender him. Now they're not backwards. They're going to be snared. And they're going to be taken captive. They're going to be taken. They're going to be taken out of their own land. Because they will not hear the word of God. And listen to me. The gospel is a wonderful thing. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. But it's also that which condemns you. Because when you hear the wonderful story that Jesus Christ loved you, and regardless of how wicked and sinful you are, and your sin does not send you to hell. You know what sends you to hell? You will not receive Christ. He said, you will not come to me that you might have life. And the gospel preached, it says this, that you're sinners and Christ died for your sin and he paid for your sin. Death. He was buried and rose again. He's alive now. That wonderful gospel that can forgive and save and give you everlasting life at the, at the white throne judgment will be that that condemns you. Because you had a chance. You heard the gospel. God spoke to your heart. You knew you had a need. You knew you were lost. And you rejected him. And when you said, I didn't know. He'll say, you are a liar. I preached to you. I gave you the word of God. You rejected. You would not hear it. And now you're condemned for all eternity. That same gospel that was to save you. Now enslaves you. It condemns you. Because he wept and said, you will not come to me. That you might have life. Oh, my dear friend, listen. In the last days, and this could be beginning today, could begin tomorrow. The Bible said the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Dead in Christ are going to rise first. Brother Randy has been teaching his Sunday school class and he talked with me about some things. And I, I, here's the way I, I, I believe it. I will really believe this. He said this. When you're taken out here, those who are saved are gone. God shall send them strong delusions that they might believe the lie, a lie, the lie, really, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's that not believing the truth that damns you. It's not receiving the gospel. My dear friend, you sit here this morning, you say, I believe the Bible. I believe Jesus died. Uh, that's not the term belief in the Bible. 
The word belief in the Bible has to do with an abandonment to it. It has to do with throwing yourself on it. It has to do with the fact of receiving it. It's not a head knowledge, but it's a heart knowledge. He said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, you can be saved. And they did not believe the word of God. They did not believe the word of God. They didn't respond to it. Now, notice what happens. As he begins in verse number 15 or 14, rather, he addresses the northern kingdom. And they, they have done something. And notice what he says. He said, wherefore, verse 14, wherefore, hear the word of the Lord Ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. He's now talking to the southern kingdom. Because ye have said we have made a covenant with death. And with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through. It shall come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Now, they did not really say that. They didn't say we made a covenant with hell. They didn't say we have made lies our refuge. But God did. God said, you're living a lie. You're hiding. You've made a covenant with hell and with death. And he said, you've made lies your covering. And he describes it in the text verse I read to you like a bed. He said, the bed is too short. You remember the word of God's to give you rest. And this bed is too short. If you try to stretch out on it, you're too long. And the cover's too narrow. You get cold during the night. Now, I don't know if you've ever been cold at night or not, and you're about to freeze to death, and you're trying to get warm, 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 and you keep pulling cover up. Next thing, what you realize is that your feet are sticking out, and your feet are cold. It's made your whole body cold. Well, here's somebody trying to cover up with a covering that's too small. And he said, you, you're, you're trying to hide under a bunch of lies. And that's what he's telling the, north, the southern kingdom now. He said, because you're saying we're not as bad as they are and that we can go on and we can do what we want to. And they go through a pretense of worship. They still have Jerusalem. They still offer sacrifices. They still going through the religious activities. But he said, you're trying to hide in a bed that's too short and you're trying to cover up with a cover that's too narrow. You're hiding under lies. What an what an accusation. The northern kingdom is boastful and proud of their rebellion. But the southern kingdom is just hiding under a bunch of lies. And that's the tragic truth. There's a crowd outside this church building across America that rejects the Bible. They deny the Bible. They deny the word of God. They cuss God. They cuss the blood. They cuss the cross. And they're on their way to hell. But there's another crowd that's trying to hide under a bunch of lies, trying to sleep in a bed that's too short, trying to cover up with cover that's too narrow. And they're just as sure for hell as the other crowd. That's the message. He said, all of our righteousness is filthy rags, trying to hide and would come up short. 
Some people try to hide under good works. They're doing the best they can. Preacher, I'm going to go to heaven because I, I'm not a bad man. I'm a good daddy. I'm a good mother. I, I don't drink and I don't cuss and I don't do this and that and the other. That cover's too small. It won't cover you. Because the Bible said that not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And people say, well, I'm going to try to keep the law. I, I'm going to hide. I'm going to hide under keeping the law. I'm going to be. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. And I've tried to keep the law. You know what he said about the law? He said the law was never given that it might give life, but it was given that every mouth might be stopped and all the world become guilty. You see, he said, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That covers too narrow. You can't cover up by good deeds and you can't cover up even by keeping the law. If you say, well, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, bad thing about that, there's 615 commandments. Give me 715 commandments in that Bible. And you don't even know what most of them are. And that covers too narrow. You can't hide under the law. You can't hide under good works. You can't hide under religion of any sort. Jesus said, there's only one way to heaven. I'm it. He that hath the son hath life. Coming up short. What an awful thing to stand before God and you have really, really done your best. Oh, you say, Brother Billy, is that going to really happen? You think God would do Oh, yeah, there's a verse in the Bible about that. He said there's a group of people who stand before him one day and said, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done good works in thy name? Have we not cast out demons in thy name? And he said, I'll say to them, depart from me, you cursed. I never knew you. Coming up short. Having tried and done their very best, they come up short. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Can I tell you what the standard is? The standard is not the average church member. The standard is not pastors and deacons and Sunday school teachers. Because some of you are sitting here and you say, well, I'm as good as any deacon in this church. I'm as good as any Sunday school teacher in this church. I'm telling you something. It's not even the preacher. And that's not, that's not a big deal. But some people say, well, I'm as good as that preacher. I, I, I don't care. That's not the deal. The deal is you come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the expressed image of his person. He is the glory of God. Jesus is the standard. And you don't measure up to him. I promise you don't. Nobody does. Nobody ever has. Nobody ever will. But here's the amazing thing. God so loved the world that he took his darling son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect son, allowed him to be hung on a cross and suffer, bleed and die for you. And he was buried and he arose again and he perfectly satisfied all the demands of God. And in him, the Bible said, you don't come up short. But in him, you are complete. Everything. Hallelujah. Praise God. Don't come up short. You've got to have the Lord. You've got to have Jesus. The failure of the covering, they come up short. The facing of the consequence. Notice in verse 21. 
He said, the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perizim, and he shall be wroth as in Gibeon. Now, let me just say this to you. David was in the first battle, and God came to his aid and defeated the enemy. Getting in the second battle, God came and defeated the enemy. And God is bringing the Assyrians and he's bringing the Babylonians. But this passage of scripture says, the Lord will arise. Truth of the matter is, regardless of who he uses for judgment, the Lord's the one behind it. And here's the deal. You don't have to face a Baptist preacher at the judgment. You don't have to face the Assyrians. You don't have to face the Supreme Court. You don't have to face anything or anybody but him. The Lord will arise. The consequence of coming up short is having to face the wrath of Almighty God. But not only do I note that failure of that covenant, and I notice the facing of the consequence, but let me go back to a few verses I skipped over back in verse 16. He gave the word of God that they might have rest and refreshing. They rejected it. Now look at verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. That means he shall not run in fear. Although the Babylonians are coming, although the Assyrians are coming, he said, there's somewhere you can stand and know that you're going to be taken care of. Regardless of whatever kind of judgment's coming, he said, if you'll get on that rock, if you'll stand on that rock, you're going to be all right. Now, turn in your Bible, please, to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and I'm through. 1 Peter. Watch this now. 1 Peter chapter number 2. Listen to what he said. You understand what we talked about? He sent them the word of God. They would not hear it. The, the northern kingdom in pride turned away from God. The southern kingdom tried to hide under lies, but they wouldn't hear the word of God either. Now watch what it says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking... As newborn babes desire the sensual milk of the word that you might grow thereby. Now, it's been a long time since some of you, like me, I see some white hair out there. Long time since you had a baby at your house. But we've got some new babies in here. And every time I see them, I say, thank God for the baby. And thank God they live at your house. (laughs) I remember those midnight and two o'clock. And all that business over and over again. And they have to do that every day. They don't care how tired you are. They don't care whether you feel good or bad. When it's time to eat, they'll let you know. And they don't mind calling out in the middle of the night over and over again. And they eat a little bitty bit of milk. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And boy, when they get to where they got a bottle about that big and they'll sleep all night, you want to speak in tongues and say Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
But he said, don't be like that crowd that reject the word of God. You be like a newborn baby. I want it morning, noon and night. I want it all the time. I have a hunger for the word of God. Oh, God, speak to my heart. Show me a truth. Help me to know what to do. As newborn babes desire the sin, seal, miracle, the word that you might grow thereby. Hang with me now. I'm not through. Notice what it said. Verse 3. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone. Remember that stone back there in Isaiah? Back in Daniel, he said he saw it cut out with hands and it came rolling down and destroyed that image. And here it is. Here's the same stone. It's a living stone. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's living. And he said this, disallowed indeed of men. But chosen of God and precious. Remember Isaiah said he was a precious stone. Said he was a sure stone. He was a sure foundation. And he's precious and he's sure. Ye also as lively stones are built upon a spiritual house. And holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. He said when you get in that stone, that rock, when you trust Jesus, you take on his nature. He's a rock. And when you trust Jesus Christ, you become a living stone. And you're placed together. One place says we're, we're fitly framed together, fit just right in the body of Christ. But we're living stones. We're lively stones because we trust Jesus. Don't, hang with me. Look at verse number six. Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion. He's quoting Isaiah. A chief cornerstone. Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or shall not run in fear or helter-skelter. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same became the head of of the corner. A stone of stumbling And a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they were appointed. He laid it out for us. He said, you got a choice. You can receive the word of God, receive the Lord Jesus Christ, be mired up in the rock of ages, have a place that's sure and secure and know that when you face God the Father, you'll be in Christ and know that it, it, whatever storm comes, whatever judgment comes, it's all under the blood. Or well, he said you can reject it. And that stone that is your security will become your stumbling stone and you'll fall on it. He describes it this way in one place. He said if anybody falls on that stone, they'll be broken. That means humbled. But he, he, the Bible said he's, he's there to mend the brokenhearted. But he said, if that stone falls on you, it'll grind you to powder. Now, you don't have a choice this morning of whether you'll face him or not. You don't have that choice. You can try to ignore him. You can try to discount it. You can say it ain't so. But you're going to face him. You'll see him one of these days. You'll either see him as your savior standing on that solid foundation, that rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or that rock will become a grinding stone and a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And you'll be in hell for all eternity. It's a simple thing, really. 
It's a matter of this one little word. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Do you believe him? Why would anybody want to die and go to hell? When all you got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you want to go on and try to hide under a bunch of lies? Why do you want to go on with a crown of pride and say, boy, when the evidence is right before you that that's not going to work. Judgment's coming. It's coming to America. Sure as I'm standing here. It's coming to the whole world. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, you have to face him at the judgment. But that decision is already made for you ever get there. Do you know him? Would you receive him this morning? With your heads bowed and eyes closed. God help us to learn a lesson this morning from the word of God. Southern kingdom tried to hide in a bed that was too short. Tried to cover up with coverings that were too narrow. And they hid themselves under a cloak or covering of lies. They tried to be a hypocrite about it. They tried to say they were religious. They tried to say they believed the Bible. But they really hadn't. They really hadn't. If it hadn't changed your life, you hadn't believed it. If you don't have any assurance of heaven, you hadn't believed it. If it's not made you a brand new creature, you've never believed it. But you can believe it this morning.